Daniel, uh, and we'll be back in chapter number two, and we'll actually be looking at the interpretation of the vision that uh, was given to Daniel by the Lord, uh, and it, just in time, in the nick of time, because Daniel and all the wise men and the astrologers and the magicians and the sorcerers were all about to die, and Daniel steps in. Uh, he gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to pray with him, and they go on a fast. And, and sure enough, the Lord gives him the word that he was looking for. He gives him a vision of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then he also gives him the interpretation. Now, you know, when I was picking the next book to uh, go into after we uh, finished the book of Colossians, I uh, Daniel really wasn't on the top of my list, but uh, I knew we—I I knew we—I figured we were going into First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, and and I knew there was prophecy there, and so I kind of figured maybe after that we would go to Daniel. And I had several people that said, "Oh, let's go to Daniel now. Let's go to Daniel now." Well, you didn't have to teach it, so I understand why you said that. But but I got to tell you, with what's going on in the nation today, and what's going on in the world today. And we've got this book all about the sovereignty of God. I got to believe that God was sovereign over the choice for us to study Daniel. I really believe that. I really believe this book is very, I mean, it's pertinent to all times, but it's, it's especially pertinent to the time that we're in right now. Uh, I'm seeing things, I mean, I've been reading ahead. I don't know how much of a student you are of the book of Daniel. I've read the book of Daniel several times and done a couple of studies in the book of Daniel. But when you teach something, you got to go into it in more depth. So I, did, I can't just wait till I pop up on one of these prophecies and then, and then try to figure it out the night before. That's not going to work. So I've been reading ahead and, and I've seen things and I've heard things in, in my studies before that I just didn't think could happen. One of those things that plays big in the interpretation of Daniel is where is the United States in the end times? I mean, why in the United States mission? And I actually think it is in chapter seven. I talked a little bit about that Sunday, but the United States going down. I remember 25 years ago when I got saved and I heard a few of these prophecy guys talking about the United States is probably going to be gone when all of the final events happen, either gone as far as a major power or literally gone uh, as far as being destroyed and uh, with the 25 years ago we were so strong and this moral slide that we've gone into really hadn't picked up as much speed as it has now but it is exponentially uh, happening right before our eyes the moral decline of the United States of America and at some point, I believe God is going to judge this nation. I figure he's going to take me out of here before he does, and maybe you too. But, but uh, it certainly would fit into the book of Daniel that, that, that the United States isn't, at least at the very least, isn't a power to even be reckoned with in, in the last days. And I just never thought that could happen. But I see what, what uh, the president this current president has done to the United States militarily, and we're just not talking about morally now, just militarily, and the way he's, and you, most of the governments that you see in the end times are socialist type governments, 
And so you didn't figure we would slide into socialism as fast as we have either. You know, we talked about Sunday about the Supreme Court decision on homosexual marriage, but there was a major Supreme Court decision the Thursday before, uh, which really has really opened the door that much wider for us to become a socialistic nation and to blend in more with this European Union. And that's a possibility, too, that the United States just becomes, we'll look at that even a little bit tonight, becomes possibly part of this European Union that, that uh, rises up in the last days. So, so definitely it's encouraging from the standpoint that, that uh, you can see uh, these prophecies maybe being fulfilled, almost like reading the newspaper. But it's also encouraging to me because what I see in Daniel, I've already mentioned this more than anything else, is the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. I mean, God knows the future. He never abdicates his throne. And he's the one who makes the future. And so we have to trust him that the things that are happening to our nation right now, the things that might happen to us as individuals, are part of his final plan. I mean, just let's go back and read that psalm that Daniel wrote again. Just, just read that with me. Blessed be the name of, I'm reading in verse 20 of chapter 2. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. That's why how he could, could tell Nebuchadnezzar what's going to happen in the future. And how he could tell Daniel what's going to happen in the future. And how he could tell us what's going to happen in the future. And he's going to tell us that tonight. He removes kings and raises kings up. So, so he knows what kings are going to be there uh, uh, and which kings are going to be removed. He knows who the next president is. He's not fretting over that one bit. If it's Hillary, uh, he knows it. I'm not saying anything against Hillary. If it's uh, Donald Trump, <laughs> he knows it. For his reasons, we'll, we'll get the king or queen we deserve. That's really scary right there. He gives wisdom to the wise. He, he, and knowledge to those who have understanding. And I believe that's us. He, he, he wants us to know these things. He wants us to see these things so, so that we do trust him. He reveals deep and secret things to his children. He knows deep and secret things. He knows the, the depths of anybody's soul, anybody's mind. He, he can reach down in there and he knows exactly what you're thinking and feeling and what kings are thinking and feeling. He knows what is in the darkness. He, know, he knew in the darkness what Nebuchadnezzar was dreaming and light dwells with him. And so he can put his light in any situation and he can see it. And no doubt he gave Nebuchadnezzar that that Nebuchadnezzar, that dream. And he says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers, you have given me wisdom and might and now and have now made known to me what we ask of you. Me and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego ask of you to tell us Nebuchadnezzar's dream and give us the interpretation. And now you've made it known to us. I'd be real interested. I wish he'd given us a little bit of insight into how God made it known to him. I mean, did he come to him? I mean, probably we do get some insight in it in some of the latter chapters, different ways he was told these, given these visions. It's really almost each time it's different. So, so but, but he gets some major vision, uh, a very specific vision 
uh, and angels are involved and, and uh, the Lord himself is involved. And so, so probably my guess is that the Lord came to him, gave him this vision and gave him the interpretation. For you have made known to us the king's demand. So now he's got the vision. He knows the interpretation. And he's stepping high and he's heading in to see Nebuchadnezzar. That's where we pick up tonight, verse number 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch and said, hey, stop the madness. You don't have to kill anybody. Therefore he went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy all the wise men of Babylon, including Daniel and his friends. And he went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. Now, remember I told you last week that I believe Daniel had favor in Eric's eyes because I don't believe Eric would have been that quick to take this risk. And not only is he quick to take the risk, he wants to take the credit too. Because you look at the next verse, he says, then Eric, Eric quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I've found the man. I found the man who can give you your interpretation. Uh, he, he, he wants some credit here. I found the man of the captain of, captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And then the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, and it was a name given to him by the Babylonians. He said, are you really able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Notice he puts the dream first. He's still determined, I'm not even going to listen to your interpretation unless you can tell me exactly what I dreamed. And he's asking for the impossible. And you got to give Daniel some credit here because he's pretty bold. Because he realizes probably that if this is the wrong dream, and it's not the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, he's probably going to die on the spot. So he makes a pretty bold mood here, and he comes in, he's confident. Well, why was he confident? Because he got the dream and the interpretation from the Lord. So you're going to be confident when what you have comes from the Lord. And so he says, are you able to make known to me the dream of which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise man, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayer cannot, it, it, it can't be declared by the wise man, the astrologers, the magicians, or the soothsayers. Now at that point, I bet you Nebuchadnezzar was about to take off his head. I mean, he said, what you're asking for, you can't have. Not from these soothsayers, not from the wise man. He's kind of throwing them under the bus, but he's throwing himself under the bus too. He said, you're asking for the impossible. We can't give you what you're asking. Uh, there's no way. And, and nobody can do that. But... The next verse, I always love those buts in the Bible. There's a good but. But there is a God in heaven. And notice how he approaches it. He doesn't say there is Jehovah, there's Yahweh. He realizes that, that Nebuchadnezzar is, is a, a pagan king, and he worships, worships all sorts of gods. But he's going to tell him now, he's going he's to lead him into a relationship with the Lord, basically is what he's doing. And so he tells him about the God and where the God's at. There is a God in heaven. You don't know this God, Nebuchadnezzar, but there is a God in heaven, and he reveals secrets, and he has made known to, to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be the latter days. That's what your dream was all about. What will be the latter days? What, what are the latter days in the Bible? 
from, from, well, not necessarily the very end times, anything that takes place from that time, the latter days from Pentecost, remember we went over this, I tried to show you this in the, when we were going through Acts, the latter days were the days from Pentecost till Christ returns. So the latter days now would be from the days of Nebuchadnezzar until Christ returns, until the kingdom of God is established. And so uh, he says, but there, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's, he's given you a great privilege, Nebuchadnezzar. He's made known to you what will be the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. Now, he's going to give him the dream. It's pretty amazing right here what he's doing. But he's actually going to give him the dream. He says, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on the bed about what would come to pass after this, after the time in which we're in now. And he who reveals secrets, the Lord, the God of heaven, has made known to you what will be. So uh, remember what Daniel said back in his psalm? He says God knows uh, that he changes the times and the seasons. What he meant by that is God is in charge of the future. So not only does God make the future, he knows the future. And Nebuchadnezzar, he shared the future with you. You're a very privileged man. And, and now he shared it with me. He's given me the dream and the interpretation too. Now he's going to describe the dream in detail now. He says, he says, but as for me, verse number 30, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes, but for ours, for your sake, for my sake, or really for the sakes of those who make known the interpretation of the king. In other words, this was given to save our lives and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. That's the other reason. So that you might know what this vision is all about, this pressing vision that you had, this dream that you had, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And now in verse number 31, listen to what he says. He says, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, a great statue. I almost had David put up a slide for this tonight, but I don't think you, there's any slide that knows what this looks like or how big it was, or, or what the face looked like. There was just this giant image. I mean, I, I, I would figure several stories high. And he says, O king, you were watching and behold a great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. And so here he sees this giant statue, uh, this giant man is made of metal and clay, and its form is office. Is, is awesome, and now Daniel's going to describe this in detail. Look at verse number 32. He said, the image's head was of fine gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Its belly, and I would say sides there might be a better interpretation. Its belly and sides, you could put sides there, and I think it fits the, the model better because you're going to say legs and in verse 33, so thighs are part of the legs. So I think side is what, its belly and sides were of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watch while a stone was cut out without hands. Now we know who that stone is. I'm, I'm jumping ahead in the interpretation. But we know who the rock of the ages is, right? 
and, and the stone that was cut out without hands, it means by God, which struck the image on its feet, its feet of iron and clay. Now, why at the feet? Because that tells you that the, the striking of the image of these world empires is going to come at the very end, at the very last empire. God's going to allow these other empires to exist. He's going to allow them to come and go. But at the very end, when you have this fifth empire, God, world empire, God is going to strike it down. And who's going to strike it down? The rock. And who's the rock? Jesus Christ. And all you got to do is read Revelation 19. And Jesus comes with a sword in his mouth. And the Antichrist and his armies march against him. And boom, he just speaks and they're gone. So it happens all of a sudden. So he says, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image in its, on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And a wind carried it away and there was no trace of them found anymore. They're gone. World empires are gone at this point. No more world empires. No more talk of a new world, world order. There'll be a new world order, but it'll be a new world order with Jesus Christ on his throne. And amen, exactly. And the stone that, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. In other words, his rule and reign will fill the whole earth. Well, that's good news, isn't it? It's really good news. This is the dream. I've given you the dream. How about it, Nebuchadnezzar? Would you, would you like to hear the interpretation? He it, it, notice Nebuchadnezzar is speechless. I mean, this guy likes to talk, but he doesn't. I mean, wait till you get to chapter 4. I mean, he's going to talk for hours when you get there. He loved to talk, but he doesn't say a word. Why doesn't he say a word? He's stunned. I mean, here's this guy that has gotten, I mean, a dream that took place weeks or months before, and he's gotten into his mind and knows exactly what that dream was. He gives it to him in detail. And Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he's just standing there flabbergasted. He, that this guy could tell him exactly what he had dreamed in this prior dream. And now Daniel says, would you like to hear the interpretation? You better believe I would. Man, if this kind of miracle can take place in just telling me the dream, I want the miracle of the interpretation. How many of y'all want the miracle of the interpretation? Well, let's look at it because he's going to give it to us. He says in verse number 37, he said, O king, you, O king, are the king of kings. There's no king like Nebuchadnezzar at this point. Any other king was just a, just a vassal king, a puppet king that reported to Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of all kings. You are king of kings. That's the title given to who later on? You know that, Jesus, exactly. King of kings and lord of lords. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar is going to call this king that speaks to Daniel the king of kings and lord of lords, basically. He said, you, O king, are king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. You know, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar ever realized, just figured he was a lucky guy. 
you know, to fall into all his wealth, or either maybe he was some kind of deity. You know, the pharaohs thought of themselves as deities. But now he's told where that power came from. All the power that you had came from, from uh, the Lord, the God of heaven. And notice how he calls him the God of heaven. He doesn't say Yahweh or, or uh, Jehovah. He says the God of heaven, this God of the Jews, has given you the kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wherever the children of the men dwell or the beast of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hands. I mean, the whole modern world of that time was under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And he, it's not modern to us now, but it was modern then. He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them. And then he says, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of of gold. You were the first of the four Gentile one world governments that will rule over the earth. You're the first of the four until the last day's government comes. That last one world order that we're still looking for now. Now, notice, notice the metals used here. Out of all those metals, look, you, you, you got Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, which is gold. Then you got the Medo-Persian kingdom, which we'll look at in a minute, which is silver. Then you got the Greek kingdom, which is bronze. Then you've got the, the iron kingdom. Uh, and then you've got iron mixed with clay. Now, you notice the descending value of those metals to the, where you get to clay? So, so much for evolution. I mean, these kingdoms are not getting better. They're getting worse. That's the picture that God's trying to paint right there. The kingdoms actually get worse. Now, they get, they don't, that doesn't mean they don't get mightier because Rome was much mightier than Babylon, but it was, it was worse it wasn't as organized. It wasn't as, as beneficial to the people as the Babylonian kingdom was. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it was worse. And that last kingdom that comes upon the earth, the ten toes that we'll look at here in a minute, made up of ten kings, that's going to be the absolute worst kingdom of all. And that's, that's what the Lord's trying to show us there. So you're the head of gold. You're the one who, who, uh, who uh, rules now. You're the first one world order. I think Nebuchadnezzar was feeling pretty good about himself at that point. I'm the gold one. The rest of these kind of deteriorate from there. He liked that so much. What did he do in the next, does he do in the next chapter? He makes him a full statue of gold. He make, I mean, he doesn't really want the head gold. He, make, he says, I'm the, the golden kingdom. I'm going to make a statue uh, uh, of myself, and it's going to be all gold, and people are going to fall down and worship it. So he was feeling pretty good about himself at this point. Now, some scholars try to associate the metals that are in this vision or in this dream with the particular empire that 
God is speaking of in that vision. And I think to some degree that works. I don't think that's the main point of what God was trying to say through the metals uh, in the vision. But there, there is some association with these things. But for example, Herodias, uh, the Greek historian who visited Babylon, wrote the following. He said that gold was everywhere when he went and visited Babylon. He said gold was everywhere, more gold than you could possibly imagine. Uh, Greece, the, Greece, which is represented by bronze here, brass, uh, they used bronze shields and bronze chariots and uh, bronze spearheads. And I mean, they, they, they tried to make their army totally bronze. So when you saw that army coming and the sun hit that army, it was frightening. I mean, it was like this, this God coming at you. And then we know, you know, how Rome is associated with iron and this iron fist that, that ruled the world. And so, so there is some, something to that association, but I, I don't think that was God's main point. His main point was to show the decline in quality of each of these powers, as I've already mentioned. In, in weight, I mean, uh, in gravity, in, the, in, their, in their importance. Uh, for example, the gravity of gold is 19.3, the gravity of silver is 10.5, the gravity of iron is 7.6, and the gravity of clay is, is 1.9. So these, this isn't getting weightier and heavier, it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Although the kingdoms actually get mightier and mightier and mightier. They're just of less importance in God's eyes for some reason. All right, now, verse number 39. And he goes through, through some more of the interpretation. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, you're not going to live forever. That's the bad news, verse 39. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar would have said, boy, if, if Daniel had said, and your kingdom will last forever, he would have loved that even more. But he's told something else, verse 39. He says, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom, a bronze, which shall rule uh, over all the earth. Well, we know from, from back in uh, verse 32 that the second kingdom is silver. The second kingdom is silver, and the third kingdom is bronze. So the, the second kingdom, uh, which is, the, is silver, the silver arms and the si silver chest, represent the Medo-Persian Empire. We'll see, uh, actually we'll see the Medo-Persian Persian Empire arise in the book of Daniel. Because remember, when, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar's son's having that big party, the writing comes on the wall, and then that night they're, they're conquered by the Medo-Persians. So, Medo-Persians. So, we're going to actually see that happen. Then the third kingdom is the kingdom of brass, which in 333, Greece moves across the world, and they wipe out the Medo-Persian Empire, and they take over. And then, verse number 40, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as it breaks in pieces and shatters everything like iron and crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all other kingdoms. And we know that that fourth kingdom, that fourth one world government, is Rome. And all you have to do is look at your history books, and you have to look for one world governments, because that's what we're, we're being shown here, these one world kingdoms. 
that will rule over, over centuries. Rome lasted a long time. The eastern part of Rome lasted to 1453 A.D. And really the remnants of Rome are still around. Not just the, I'm not just talking about the artifacts, I'm talking about governments and, and uh, the religious system, the Roman religious system, all of that's still in place. It's kind of, it's not knitted together yet. But a lot of those, I mean, all of those remnants are, are still hanging around. And so that leads us to the last kingdom. That's the kingdom that's there when Jesus Christ returns. In verse number 41, he says, Whereas you saw the feet and the toes, uh, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. Now, he says, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw iron mixed with pottery. Really the word there translates pottery. So when you think of pottery, ceramic pottery, what do you think of? It's fragile. It's brittle. It breaks real easy. So here you have this great last days empire, the empire of the Antichrist we're going to see later on. But it's a very brittle Empire. It's not held together very well. Now, again, if you if you read your newspapers right now, there is a movement toward a one world order right now in this world. In fact, the IMF has the the which is kind of scary. They have the world divided up into ten economic regions. Some people actually believe that is the ten kingdoms of the Antichrist. I don't know that that's true or not. I personally believe it because of this. Roman influence, this iron that's mixed in with the clay, that it is the, the strongest nations of the Roman Empire, what was left of the Roman Empire when it was all split up. And I believe that includes Germany and Italy and France and, and uh, a lot of those nations. It is definitely, because of the iron, it definitely rules out this idea that it's going to be a Muslim one world order or a Jewish one-world order. Not, it, it won't be that. It's coming out of the Roman Empire. Again, he, in verse 42, he says, And as the toes and feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. It'll be brittle. Now, if you're watching the European Union right now, and that's where a lot of scholars believe the Antichrist will arise out of, and that's where the ten kingdom you got ten toes. Later on, you're going to see ten horns. And then the little horn's going to come up. And, and in Revelation, you have the ten kings. So, so all of this ties together. Uh, but it's fragile. I mean, here you got, you've got, I mean, Rome, Rome was ruled by one city, by one man, and he ruled the entire world. And now you've got this, this uh, empire in the last days. That's part iron and part clay. So it's strong and it's brutal like Rome. It's mighty like Rome, but it's very fragile. And as you watch the, what goes on in the book of Daniel later on, keep that in mind because there's going to be all sorts of, it's going to seem like, well, there's an empire, but yet the empire's breaking up and yet it's getting back together. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. He says, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, verse 43, 
They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. You see what's happening in Greece right now? I mean, Greece is part of the 28-member European Union. Now, that's not 10, so it doesn't fit right now. But, hey, this is a very fluid situation. It's changing all the time. Greece is voting Sunday whether or not to stay or really whether or not to abide by what the European Union wants to do, which in effect is whether they're going to stay in the European Union or not stay in the European Union. So the, I believe these nations over the next few years are going to kind of come and they're going to kind of go. And so, uh, but, and, but the reason... The reason a one-world order in the end times is going to have its problems is because people, certain nations are going to try to keep their national identity and their, and, and their economy and their government. And so you've got, you're going to have nations that are, that are socialistic mixing with nations that are maybe kind of capital, capitalistic, socialistic mix. And you're going to have nations that are totally socialistic like Greece that are going to cause all sorts of problems. And so you're going to see these nations coming and uh, going, and then finally you're going to see a dictator arise who's going who's to rule the entire end times kingdom. Now, as I said, since, you've got, since the statue had ten toes, then we know that there's ten nations that make up the final union of the nations, and, and uh, right now there's 28 in the European Union, so the European Union doesn't fit right now. But that can change tomorrow. Trust me, that can change tomorrow. Russia comes down and grabs Lithuania and some of these other nations that are in the European Union, and then uh, you're left with the really powerhouses, uh, France and, and England and uh, uh, Germany. And then maybe the United States joins in. You know, if we get a president that, wants to take us one step further into socialism, we might very well fit into the European Union. And, and it might be that it's the ten economic uh, uh, divisions. But one way or the other, we know that there's going to be ten kingdoms in the end time. And I really believe we're getting real close. But here's the good news. You want the good news? Let's finish up with that real quickly. We'll come back to this. I'm just going to read it. And in those days, verse 44, of these kings, of the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. They, will, they won't, when, he, when Jesus Christ comes, let me tell you what, he's not coming, uh, he's not going to be elected in the office. Uh, uh, he's, it's, he's just coming and he's going to take over. It's just as simple as that. Uh, there's not going to be any marching armies. He's just going to come with us and he's going to speak the word and, and those armies that are fight up against him are going to be gone. Just that simple. And it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. And as much as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands and that broke it in pieces, in broken pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretation 
is sure. And you better believe Nebuchadnezzar believed that. And you better believe Daniel believed that. Because of the way God set this whole process up, you knew the interpretation and the dream had to come from the Lord. And you know what's amazing to me? You look out over history now, and you have had Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome as one world governments. And there was a fifth given. And there's been all sorts of efforts being, have been made to try to come up with that fifth government, that one world government. The Ottoman Empire tried to do it. Germany tried to do it. Britain and the United States probably could have done it and didn't do it. You always kind of wonder why, because God puts the people on the throne. He wants to break the United States up. He put the right people in the throne to break the United States up. He wants the United States to be the one world government in the end. He'll, we got the missiles to do it. But he's sovereign. And we're waiting for that last kingdom. My hunch is you're going to be around. I might not be, but you're going to be around to see it. And you're going to know it when it happens. And that's why when I see something happen like happened last week to the United States of America, I get I'm sad, but I'm also excited. I'm excited that things are happening and changes are coming, and the ultimate change is Jesus Christ on his throne. That's what we're looking forward to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and what you revealed to us, and Lord, this great vision that you gave Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel was given a view of and an interpretation of, Lord, just... We just thank you that you've made us privy to this. Lord, that we can look at history and know that you're sovereign over history. Lord, we can look at uh, the future and not worry about the future because we know you're sovereign over the future. Lord, we can look at our own lives and know that you're sovereign over our lives. Just as you see the history of nations, you see the history of our life. And you know it's all going to turn out well. Lord, help us to have that vision along with you as we go through these difficult times. And Lord, we just thank you for, for the assurance we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.